Seven Eleven had black bunting on it. It was like every president that ever ruled the nation had been assassinated all at the same time. Right. Like there was, ooh, it was a dark day in, yeah, in well, Charlotte, yeah, let me yeah. tell you. <laughs> I love it. This is the Epic New Podcast. Two idiots and a list. Where you're going to get two idiots and a list. And now, coming to you live from Circle Avenue Studios, your hosts, Nick Fasolo and Kirik McMillan. Well, I took a business trip and I got COVID. So we are coming at you all a month after we normally would. Where were you? Where were you traveling? Atlanta. Ah, it was at a trade show. Gotcha. And, uh, yeah. So, hey, it was my first run with it, and I survived rather nicely. So get vaccinated if you haven't already, because it works. Pfizer pay you for that? (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully my shares skyrocket after this. That's right. (laughs) Charlatan! Uh, I noticed that our REM episode is trending in Israel right now. I can't explain that. Really? Yeah. Yeah, it's it peaked out on one of the charts over there. So huh. to the Israelis, That's we say hello. A room full of charts with every fucking. <laughs> I imagine you with monitors up. Oh and yeah, just charting everywhere we're at. A lot of spreadsheets, <laughs> slide rulers, cups of coffee that are half drank, so like it's weeks old. That's right. Cigarette butts floating in them like the old days. We also uh, we we also got. Some Slammed with a one-star review because we called Tom Petty basic. <laughs> I love it. Too. I am. I am good with that. <laughs> but hey, if you, I love this guy. Just the, the, the thought of this guy settling in. He's like, oh, I've got a new podcast. I'm gonna literally, you know, I love Tom Petty. Ooh, I wanna, they did you know, Tom Petty. Yeah, they they got to do the man right. How could you do him any other way? <laughs> we just come busting through the doors like fucking. <laughs> It's like getting a collect call from the angel of death. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, 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 you know, obviously it's not nice getting a bad review, but that one brought me joy. <laughs> the, 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 the descriptor literally says we take a couple of shots at Tom Petty and we smash some icons along the way. <laughs> oh, that's funny shit. Uh, good stuff. Oh, check this out. Hey, hey, you know what time of year it is. This is for you. I brought one. Ooh, for you. baseball, baseball fundraising time. World's finest. The world's finest chocolate. You didn't let it sit in your garage for a year and then try to sell it. <laughs> That's your move. Do you remember the first year that you? So our sons played little league baseball for years and years and years. And about was it twelve years ago? Must have been that their first go around of it was. And then we had to pay the you know so whatever it is sixty five dollars to get into the league. And then they like hey you got to you, you got to sell one hundred and eighty dollars worth of chocolate. The, the bitch that you two, me and you, the bitch that we pitched over that. It's like what the fuck is this? I already paid. It's little league baseball. What do you got? Stock and world's finest chocolate. What 
what the fuck? And we're like, stand strong, man. Unite. Let's beat these chocolate overlords. We were coaches, for God's sake. They still made us sell the fucking candy. I do agree with that. I'm a fucking coach, and they saddled me with this shit. If I didn't teach and just shove it off to my students, I'd be a fucking wreck. You didn't have to sit in front of Ace Hardware for an hour or two on a Saturday morning. God. You met a lot of nice people that way, though. <laughs> you know, touch the community. One more piece of business. If this episode makes it to YouTube, we have been blocked on the last... Radiohead got through, but before that, uh, the three previous episodes were blocked. And we get, <laughs> we get a report. We get an email from YouTube anytime a, like any aspect of the recording blocks us. So... Like, we, we put the, the Harry Christmas episode up. I got an email from YouTube that said it was blocked because of um, Ozzy Osbourne. Oh, yeah. Ozzy, Ozzy Osbourne blocked us worldwide. <sighs> Radiohead was blocked in Russia because of one song, and I don't remember what the song was. It wasn't one of Radiohead's. <laughs> when I uploaded the Eagles... <laughs> I got Don Henley came to your house. I got 30 emails. <laughs> it was every song by either Henley or the Eagles, Glenn Fry, yeah. all of them. Every one of them got blocked. So if you're listening on YouTube, if this episode makes it through to YouTube, check us out through any other podcast source, and there's a lot more content out there. Yes. All right, Nick. Don Henley. Hey, guys. We got to talk. <laughs> Listen, assholes. <laughs> yeah, more like it. Where's my check? <laughs> Who are we doing today, Nick? We got an all-star, a big one, Hall of Famer, spanned a long career, going on 60 years almost, probably. Mm-hmm. Elton John. And he shall Crap, what a catalog. God. This was like trying to carve up a whale with a pocket knife. It's a good thing you had COVID. I needed the extra time. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Speaking of which, that little break of the extra time off, we may build that into next next year too. So if we don't have a February episode, it was nice to have a little extra time on this. But yeah, what a what a crazy huge catalog. And and when we do these bands, for the most part, I think I've listened to just about every album. This one, I was like, I can't do that. This this would take three weeks. Yeah, and really, to be honest, you could pretty much tell which ones were going to be good and which yeah. ones weren't going to be good. There's it had a, that feel. He has a uh, a rainbow career, shall we say, but like a lot of that shit in the middle, the, like the 90s and the aughts, and his stuff. I'm good. I remember it. A few clunkers in there. A yeah. few. And his early stuff was, was good. You know, sometimes when we do these bands, Journey being one, you, you went through the first album, you were like, ugh, this isn't for me. His first album, it wasn't bad. Not bad. It was a little more of a straight rock sound, but it was good. Besides Stevie Wonder, I mean, the idea of a rock, R&B, bluesy, mega superstar playing the piano in the front, just not a lot of them out there. No. It's like, And Elton John was a little bit more rock than, than Stevie wonder was but in any event you know he was kind of a novelty but i mean man what a talent oh yeah I, a lot of skill a lot of personality so much personality which yeah. is one of the one of my favorite aspects of yeah him, he was awesome is who he was mm-hmm. and and who he represented and 
how he kind of, you know, I feel for him. He went through some public things relative to both his sexual orientation and his money spending that, you know, probably were a little humiliating and maybe uncomfortable. I mean, he was engaged to a woman and then he married a different woman and it, neither of them lasted long for obvious reasons. Yeah, right. And then he wrote a song entitled, I Want to Kill Myself. Right, yeah. And <laughs> so, like, actually tried to, yeah. based on what I had seen, although the attempt was, it, I hate to call it comical, he stuck his head in his oven, <laughs> but put a pillow in there, <laughs> and apparently left the window open because, uh, well, you, know, you know, I mean, hey, it's... it's a, cries for help. Cries for help, absolutely. Cries for help. And uh, I, I like him. I like him. It's great. I, have you seen the Kingsman movies? No. Oh, uh, yeah, I have a little bit. The the first two are fantastic. If you haven't seen them, it's worth your time. They're a lot. They're very entertaining. Yeah. He's in the second one, and he's awesome. He's awesome in it. He's got a very small role, but but he just steals the scene whenever he's in it. So yeah. it kind of you know mixes with him and who he is, and you just get a, a better, an even better look at the guy. Well, he's a, just a, a supremely gifted musician. You know, truly classically trained. I mean, for almost 14 years, all he did was train on the piano. A, a musical prodigy. He and, got a scholarship, a piano scholarship, to the Royal Academy of Music at the age of 11. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and along with that is, you know, just this masterful stagecraft and the way to, you know, work a crowd. And he's played to some gigantic crowds. He played... Madison Square Garden for the 60th time on his 60th birthday. And at that time, he was the uh, the, the artist with the most performances at MSG. Do, so on that, do you know, so I did a little, I did a glancing research project here and I tried to get the numbers as best as I could. Do you know who the the number one performance, the, uh, the band that has done the most performances? Anywhere or at Madison Square Garden? Of worldwide tours. Of total performances. Let's take a guess. The Grateful Dead? Grateful Dead comes in, by my way of uh, seeing it, the, the Grateful Dead came in fourth. They've only done 2,400 shows. <laughs> only. <laughs> yeah, right? But listen, I mean, Elton John is second. He's done 4,000 shows. That's He's a lot. He's a solo artist. 4,000. And the guys who sit atop are the Beach Boys, who have 5,000. But they fucking cheat. Because they have five people out there under the Beach Boys banner. They can't figure out who's, you know, they, they all own the official Beach Boys name. So they all tour off the Beach Boys. Gotcha. So they're they're cheating. Elton John is by far like 4,000 yeah. fucking shows. Yeah, man. you can't sub him out if he's got a cold. Or you can't put him in the background if he doesn't yeah. feel well. Yeah, yeah. You got the boss at 2,500. You two did 1,800. And the Stones have been touring since the early 60s. They've done 1,500 shows. Wow. He's uh he's been pretty successful relative to at least awards. He's got two Academy Awards. Mm -hmm. Can you feel the love tonight from the Lion King? And I'm gonna love me again from his biopic, Rocket Man. He only has five Grammys, on 35 nominations. That surprised me. That I thought it would low. be higher than that. Yeah, that seems low. He has as many wins as Joe Walsh. Wow. Right? Well, that's that's. See, I was watching the Grammys last weekend, and it struck me as like, there seems to be. A hell of a lot more categories of the Grammys that there are, like now. Like, there's a lot. There's a lot of ways to win sure. Grammys. But back in the day, I mean, like, like 
who's he going up against? He's going up against, you know, he's probably in a smaller pool of way more talented individuals. And here's, you know, you have to beat out Michael Jackson, Madonna and Prince to win a Grammy sure. in 1984. It's just not going to happen for you, kid. You know, it's, right. so I, I, the, the pool for Grammy is, is, has gotten a little, uh, I don't know, bigger, I guess. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That's all right. They have to expand their brand and their fucking telecast that goes for four hours. You know, he's one of the few artists we've done and maybe, maybe the first, where you could be like 10 years older or 10 years younger than you and I are and still have a relationship with his music. Because he started in the early 70s. Not just the span of, you know, the duration of, of how long he played, but his exposure, right? I mean, we oh, yeah. he went through his 80s run, and there's a lot of those songs that, that were really 80s sounding. And then, of course, you had the 70s stuff and the 90s stuff. And then you've got the Disney stuff. He's touched probably a broader section of age range, I think, than anyone else that we've done so far. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, look, through the 70s, he dropped nine albums. In the 80s, he dropped 10 albums. You know, in the 90s, he's a busy guy. I mean, he's got a lot of at-bats here. Yeah. I think his, you know, in my mind, his batting average is a little bit low, but, like, he's been, like, wallpaper for us, always there in the background. Always there. And, you know, just kind of like, you know, Crocodile Rock comes on, you're like, yeah, I like this song. I mean, I know I know all the words, right? right? Like all those songs that he like that he wrote, and they're just out there. They're just part of like the fabric of American music, and that's you know he's a Brit, but he's very much you know a fan of America. I was thinking about his life um, just briefly. Like he writes songs and calls L.A. his home. He writes songs and calls New York his home, and he also writes songs about England and basically talking about his boyhood. But he. Imagine your life where, like, you've lived in a place like that for so long that it becomes your home, right? Like, L.A. is my home, but I'm also a New Yorker, and I'm also from London. It's like, he's, he's, he's got quite a life. It's, oh, yeah. It's, I mean, and again, goes to this longevity of, like, he's been around since 68, 69, doing all these things. And his start with Bernie Taupin was kind of interesting. Like, they both answered a newspaper ad that was asking for a music writer and a lyricist. Right. And it's a strange combination. Like, <laughs> right. We don't know singer-songwriters if the other one isn't a musician. Right. Right. You know, Lennon McCarthy and Simon and Garfunkel, but like Toppin is not a musician. No. He's just a poet. A poet, and some of his songs, he's not even sure what the lyrics mean. Yeah. Which is, <laughs> I thought was also kind of neat. Yeah. But the fact that this newspaper ad brought them together, and I don't remember who issued the ad. It was, you know, some publishing company was looking for a songwriter and a, and a musician. And they paired them up, and, you know, they've been working together and writing music and lyrics forever, you know, since that, since that pairing began. And when they started out, they were doing it for other artists. So Toppin would come up with a series of lyrics. He'd send it to Elton John. Elton John would write the music. And in most cases, based on what I read, it sounded like, Elton John kind of pumped it out, like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll crank the music out for that oh, song in like twenty minutes. Have you seen Elton John at work? There's I've a not. Couple, there's a couple of clips of him on YouTube where a broad uh, somebody was giving him an interview, just kind of gave him like, here, here, uh, can you write a song with this? And you know, he he would be sitting at his piano doing the interview, of course, and he would read a little bit, and he's like, I oh, will start here and then here, and then all of a sudden, like in in literally in like two minutes, like he has a song, yeah. With those those words as lyrics in front of him, and it's like that's what it is to be a musical prodigy, and then classically trained. He just 
knows every note. Yeah. He's pitch perfect. He's he's truly a talent. It's it was stunning. Like I was just watching it. I'm like, how do you do that? Yeah. Yeah. Did you see that there was apparently a, a pretty sizable rift between him and Madonna? I I that rings a bell for me. I wasn't aware of it. I, I guess he he said her theme to the movie Die Another Day was the worst Bond song ever. Fair criticism. <laughs> he accused her of lip syncing when she performed oh, yeah, live. I did see that, yeah. He called her a fairground stripper. <laughs> well, he took a shot at Keith Richards, too. He said, it's like a monkey with arthritis trying to go on stage and look young. <laughs> He likes to throw shade at people. I like him. Yeah. Every, everything I could see from Madonna's side of things, she never really took many shots back at him. It seemed like he was just kind of throwing a tantrum off on the side and just, <laughs> just slinging mud at her. And she was sort of like, yeah, whatever. I'm Listen, just going to do my thing. If you're on the stage with Elton, expect a couple of elbows. <laughs> you know, I just don't like the stories of people punching down. There's a couple of stories of him out there, like, you know, bitching out a, a sound guy or a guy that's supposed to get him his water and he's calling him a C word and stuff like that. It's right. like, you know what? You are Sir Elton John. You don't punch down. You want to throw a couple of elbows at Keith Richards way. I'm all for it. I'm here. For right. It. Right. But, you know, don't go on. after the common guy. Yeah, right. Sir. <laughs> All right, I think you picked this, so why don't we kick it off with you? All right. What is your honorable mention? So I've got an honorable mention here that it was a a song that I remember was in heavy rotation on MTV. It was such a, uh, you know, it was one of those videos that would come on and it was like the, the, the screen would go green and like it was just a very heavily brown and green kind of video color to it. And I'm like, oh, I'm out of here because I don't like this song because it's awfully long and it's and it's and it's really slow and I don't really get it. And then later on, like I I started to listen to it and then I understood. Then I, I found out what the song was about and it's uh, Empty Garden. written 18 months after John Lennon's assassination. He wrote it for John Lennon and his friendship that he had with him. He was deeply affected by it. There's a part in the song, at the end of the song, where he keeps on yelling like, you know, hey, hey, Johnny, can't you come out to play in your empty garden and things like that. So it's like a very deep and moving kind of uh, song. I, I mean, so I that just that stuck out in my mind. It's like, yeah, that was, a, that was something that I remember from way back. I hadn't sure. heard that song in years. And you see... Other reference, you know, we've talked, and I don't remember which artist it was that we were talking about. I think it was a, a Stevie Nicks solo song she had written about yeah. Lennon's demise. Yeah. Do you remember that? Do you remember when that happened? Like, I remember the first time I heard it, I was actually, I was walking to grade school, and a buddy of mine lived the block behind me, and I was walking along, and his dad came cruising by, taking him to school, and he stopped to pick me up. And he's listening to the news, and they announced the assassination of Lennon. And I, I clearly remember this. My friend's dad going, holy shit, like he hadn't heard it yet. So that's where I had first heard it, was riding in the car with him. 
and he had had this reaction and I just remember that sort of visceral kind of reaction because I didn't really know who John Lennon was right. I was in I don't remember what grade I was in it was eight what 80 old? or 82 I want to say it was like 80 I think it was 80 or so. December, December of 1980 I want to say yeah so I we were what third grade something like that something like that and yeah so I, you know this is another song where that death affected a major artist to the point where they felt the need to write about it yeah I can't I can't say that I remember where I was when I heard about it because again I was eight years old but I mean I I've seen the at Monday Night Football clip where Howard Cosell they break in and yeah. Howard Cosell like you know gives out the news and so in my mind that's how I found out but I'm pretty sure I wasn't watching the game at eight years old on Monday night. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, my honorable mention. It was funny as I was doing this list, I was kind of shuffling songs around, going, ah, let's move this here, move this there, and, and then. I, I did another search outside of the the standard sort of album listing that I was using off of Spotify, and then I, I heard this and I went, oh yes, 100%. This is a 1975 duet he did with Kiki D, and it's Don't Go Breaking My Heart. <laughs> This is childhood to me. <laughs> this is my oldest sister dancing around our basement with big 70s hair. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, Chanel. Love you. With big gas shoes. <laughs> Remember those? Yeah. This was his first number one in the, in the UK. And I guess he recorded his part of the song in Toronto. He wrote it. He, sent, he recorded his part of the song in Toronto, was going to send the recording to Kiki D in London and let her record her parts. Well, I guess the guy that was producing the album heard what he had done, and he was like, is this a duet or is this a like a guest spot for Kiki D? And he's like, it's a duet. And he's like, well, you gave her four lines. <laughs> you got to kind of split the song if it's a duet. So I guess he re-recorded it. She was new to the duet game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He performed the song in 1977 on The Muppet Show with Miss Piggy. And at one point, she turns to the camera and says, Eat your heart out, Kiki. <laughs> <laughs> I could watch that show all over again. I love, I love the, Muppets. I love the Muppets. Fucking great. Any chance I get, you know, anytime I get a chance to watch a clip from that show, I'm inevitably pulled in. I love it when Kermit gets angry and he sucks his face in. Yeah. Fucking awesome. Yeah. What a, what an actor. <laughs> Fantastic show. I hate that fucking song. Really? Oh, God. oh come on. I can't stand it's it. It's pure 70s, oh, you know, yeah. schmaltz. Maybe I guess that's why I hate it. I've seen the video. You've seen that the, they were doing it on the pops or whatever it was, and they were lip syncing it poorly, and it was oh, just <laughs> so so much schmaltz. I'll have, to, I'll have to pull up that video. I haven't seen it yet. Eek. All right, what's your number five? So going off the duets um, kind of theme you've set up there, 
I've always liked this song. I liked it when he did it with with. Uh, well, I liked the song as as, as original, but when he uh, duetted with George Michael, "Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me," nineteen ninety one, he did it at awesome track he's a ballad beast and you you know if you know me you know i'm a ballad man i love it and and this guy's got ballads all over the place and he's just so good he's so good he's such a great musician with intricate chord changes and the fusion of different you know genres of music and everything like this is a pretty straightforward song though it's this it's a fairly well-structured ballad but and the lyrics that top and writes with it are just great yeah and and there's an epic value that Elton John brings yes. to music and this song is full of it. Like so it's big. just got big chords. Yeah. It's got swelling portions that yeah. kind of pull you into it even farther. Yeah, the, the orchestral strings and everything like that yeah. and then just uh, and and the, the the landscape of the the lyrics also is like huge, right? Don't let the sun go down on these. You know, I love it, man. It's it's a good And George Michael does a fucking uh, he is full of voice there. Yeah, I mean, he's awesome. What a great singer! I really, I really liked his voice. I loved what he did with Wham. I loved his solo stuff. Yeah, we talked about potentially doing like a Wham George Michael table. episode. I'm not sure. We probably have to pull it in with something else in order to do that. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan. That's a good song, and that's a great duet. Mm-hmm. All right, my number five from 1970. This is your song. It's a little bit funny. This feeling inside I'm not one of those Who can easily hide I don't have much money But boy if I did I'd buy a big house Where we both could live Our announcer Butts likes to sing It's a Little Bit Runny. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I can't unhear that after I... After <laughs> Way to ruin a song. <laughs> he might have been talking about cheese. You Absolutely don't know. Absolutely not. You know he's not. <laughs> There's an incredible sentiment that Elton, or Bernie Taupin really, is putting forth here. You know, my gift is my song, and this one's for you. You can tell everybody this is your song. Like, there's something kind of beautiful about that, and he caps it off with how wonderful life is while you're in the world. I think it's a it's a beautiful sentiment. I mean, that's what we're gonna get out of this episode. It's like he, you know, he's he just brings all of that, you know, male voice to you know the I guess the romance, or, sure. You know what, how you feel about your loved ones and everything like that. And and Elton John, to in my mind, does it the best of all of them. Oh uh, like, yeah, really. Like this song is is a perfect example of that. There are many other songs like that. Yeah, you know. Well, and to to have that kind of feeling in your singing, when you're singing words you didn't write, yeah, that's foreign to me from my experience, my limited experience with music and music writing. The bands I've been in where we did original music, 
the lead singer always wrote the lyrics and one in one of the bands he's like if if i don't write the lyrics i'm not singing it like it's just how he felt how he connected with the music elton john doesn't seem to have a problem with that no and that kind of like brought me to a different question of like is elton john authentic is he an authentic artist that's a good question. Well, I mean, I put it to you. I yeah. mean, I, I, I kind of Greg. tossed that. <laughs> Greg Marmalade. I, I mean, I tossed it around, and I think I came up with my opinion on it. So I'll just, you know, chew on that All for right, a while. I'll nibble on that. We can tackle that towards uh, later in the show. Yeah. This is one of the first songs he wrote with Bernie Taupin. And after John Lennon, as you just recently referenced, after John Lennon heard the song, he said, Elton is the first new thing that's happened since we happened that is tall praise yeah that's good compliment coming from that guy at that time yeah i mean way to compliment yourself too (laughs) well you know it was the beatles (laughs) he's a brit you know (laughs) so elton was originally when he started to to actually perform he was a warm-up act for three dog night Remember, Ooh, yeah. Mama told me not to come, and uh, Joy to the World. Yeah, Jeremiah was a bullfrog. Jeremiah was a bullfrog. Uh, but and so they recorded the song for their own album. But when it looked like Elton was going to break out, uh, especially in the United States, they decided not to release it as a single in order to give him a chance to succeed, which I thought was pretty cool. Oh. Because they actually had this, the song is recorded, it's on their album. It's pretty much the same song. I thought maybe I'd drop a clip in here, but it's, it, it's, the, it's the same song, essentially, right? Different vocalist, but there's really not much change. A couple of snorts of cocaine in between. Pro- probably. Honks, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> right, right. All right, what's your number four? So number four, going along the lines of your you know, great love song, This Is Your Song, I came across this, uh, as I was reintroducing myself to his catalog, I came across this this uh, this song title, and I was like, absolutely not. I know what that is. I fucking hate those songs. And I came back around to it, and then I, th- I listened to it, and I'm like, no, no, I was wrong. I guess that's why they call it the blues. This is my number three. Oh, no shit. I love this song. <laughs> great song. It really is good. Yeah. <laughs> it really is good. So it's a great love song. The second verse especially is just really heartfelt and it's just awesome. I love it. It's Toppin's song to his wife, uh, basically, uh-huh. uh, since he's gone all the time. And it's like, it's, uh, it's a really great love song. I right. I really love it. Right. Yeah. Toppin, by the way, not when he wrote this song, but at some point after that, because I think Toppin's been married a few times, was married to, oh, I think her name was Mary Lynn Russo or something like that. Mary Lynn Russo is Renee Russo's sister. Oh. Odd little side note for you. Anyhow, getting back to, I guess that's why they call it the blues. This was probably one of the first songs of his that I think I recognized as one that I would have known when it came out versus one that I had heard on the yeah. classic rock right, right, right. you know radio station our, our or whatever teenage year. this would have been 
this was what mid '80s, I think, somewhere in that I neighborhood. I have it at '83. Okay, so it had its so, run during '84, '85. Right, you know, right, right. When we were listening to a lot of music, a lot of new music sure. coming out. And again, that's kind of like Elton John thing. Like for us, as growing up in those formative years. I didn't seek out Elton John. He was always there, always. And I heard this song, and I've knew, known this song, but I didn't like. Oh, I got to go out and get the new, you know, Elton John album because that's that wasn't my market. You know, I was busy buying the Cars or you know, right. Rupert or Prince or whatever. But he was always there. He's just mm-hmm. such a ubiquitous, um, you know, cultural uh, fixture for us. Like you couldn't get away from his music because it was so popular. This is one of those songs. Yeah, and for you and I, he was a radio voice. He wasn't yes. like I. I think I had one of his albums and it was that live in australia album and it was that you know 400 discs for a penny kind of deal yeah, the columbia like, house yes well everybody had the one where him in the white tuxedo sitting at the piano the greatest hits one sure right? everybody had that right album. right yeah. uh on i guess that's why they call it the blues stevie wonder played harmonica that's right and when you when you know that and you hear it you're like of course yes you've heard that harmonica <laughs> of course in several songs because yeah. there he is yeah he, he's He's in a couple of songs in that right around that time period with that that whiny harmonica. <laughs> Not my favorite part of the song, but hey, it's Stevie Wonder, so uh, you know. Right, it's a little noodly, but uh, it's a yeah. little gilding on it. <laughs> that brings me Not to my gelding. That's different. That's different. <laughs> Don't bet on the gelding. <laughs> that brings me to my number four. Uh, my number four. I'm going back to the self-titled Elton John album from 1970 and the song is Take Me to the Pilot. such a cacophony of different things it's got funk to the rhythm he's got like a phaser effect on the stringed instruments the backing vocals are great the piano breaks after the chorus add some texture and some audio relief from the layers of the choruses I I don't know I just like the song Elton John said he has no idea what the song's about he literally said quote I have no idea end quote <laughs> that ends that <laughs> and um, it's a definitive statement yeah there's not much room to move there <laughs> and when asked about it Bernie Taupin said I'm sure the great revolutionary poets Baudelaire and Rimbaud were so stoned out of their minds they just threw things together and went wow that sounds good and there we have it <laughs> And he said, if anybody can tell me what that song's about, it'd be great. (laughs) So the guy that wrote it has no idea what it's about. Good pod. Right? (laughs) This is probably the clearest definition of a nonsense song that we've done so far. We've had a few where, you know, artists are like, "Eh, I don't really know. It's kind of up to you. He literally came out and said, I have no fucking idea what this is about. Well, I think he came out and he said, listen, I was so fucking stoned off my balls that, you know, (laughs) if you figure it out, come and tell me. It'd be great. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, when I'm doing the research, I listen to it, and I'm like, oh, this this song kind of gets moving a little bit. And so, yeah, it's on my list for that reason, I think, alone. I'll have to check it out. All right, your number three. So my number three, really, as I'm looking at it here, it's, let me, it should be up, up in the mix more than I have it, but uh, there's just two immovable objects 
up there. So this song is is one of his oldest, one of his classics. It, it is a just a masterpiece, and it's Rocket Man. She packed my bags last night, pre-flight. Zero hour, 9 a.m. And I'm gonna be high as a kite by then. There is so much space in this song. And not up not to mean space like as in rockets going to space. There's mm-hmm. space and just time that he he gives the song to breathe. When you listen to the song, it's like it's him and it's piano and then it's this slide guitar and then it's the steel guitar and then it's like the drums and the bass come in but they all get out of each other's way and then they converge in this chorus and they all come to this crescendo while you know it's when when they sing rocket man it's it's a masterpiece it's awesome Mm -hmm. like you would not find this in today's modern music it's just not i don't want to say it's not possible but the stamina for the average listener today does not, they do not want to leave space for, you know, just kind of like the, 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 the song to kind of wash over you, the instruments to kind of wash over you. This is a completely different mindset of, like I said, the engineers putting this song together. It's really awesome. I love it. I think it's a great song, too. Uh, it was inspired by a Ray Bradbury story. Yes. You know, just the lyrics when, like, she's packing my bags pre-flight, you know, this is all before, you know, it's not before. It was right around the right time around the space. Apollo, I think the Apollo 16 mission was okay, going yeah, on. Because, yeah, we landed on the moon in 68 or 69 or whatever, something like that. 68. It, it was, was one of the, it was one of the later, one of the later but anyhow, moon visits or whatever. But it was, yeah. the, the time of the, the, spoon, the space race was, you know, burning at its brightest. But that, that that's not really kind of like, the, the, the story that you tell that he was kind of like, uh, oh, that's what it was. This song came out after Space Oddity. People criticized like the Rocket Man thing. It's like, oh, you're just you know piggybacking off of David Bowie's right. thing, and, and he kind of like he didn't he didn't deny it. He didn't assume it. He's like, well, what? I'm just going to copy one of the greats. Well, the, sorry, like because it's a great fucking idea or whatever it was. When David Bowie uh, passed away, he actually performed Rocket Man and Oddity together in a concert for his remembrance and it's that's cool it's really yeah and there you go yeah. just, can, can you do that how many people can do that right right fucking Elton John can yeah know? so yeah, it, uh, that that's all criticism that's on the, on the sidelines this doesn't take away from the fact this is a masterpiece no it's a, it's a great song he played it in the Soviet Union in the late 70s <laughs> and the pro- the program called it Cosmonaut okay <laughs> fucking Russians man just Get your shit together, guys. <laughs> well, you know, he was on stage in like 84, 85 in Moscow, and he railed against the, the, the government about their treatment of homosexuals yeah. in the country, like at great risk to himself. Sure. Says, you know, you, know, you might not leave. As, as all people know, they'll fucking arrest your ass and they don't give a who you are. Right. You know, so he's always been good for that, too. He's taking up social causes. That oh, yeah. Not popular. Yeah. Look at the funding that he provided for the AIDS cause. Yeah. Like, it's it's large part why he was knighted. Yes. And, and he should have been for it. Yeah, for sure. So when I hear Rocket Man, I cannot help but think back 
to the version that William Shatner did oh, yeah. at this some award show in I think it was Britain. It was it was 1978. He was introduced at this award show by Bernie Taupin to do his interpretation of this song. Pack my bags. Last night, pre-flight. Zero hour. 9 a.m. And I'm going to be high. As a kite by then. It is the funniest fucking thing it's awesome. ever. And he's just banging away on a lung dart the whole time. <laughs> I <laughs> packed my bags last night. Yeah. Pre-flight and just <laughs> earnest is all get up. Oh, yeah. like, this and we're gonna be high. <laughs> Didn't he also do Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds that way? Too? I don't know, but that's <laughs> that's what I remember was that clip. In fact, Family Guy does a, a riff on it, and Stewie does does the Shatner roll. Oh man, if you guys, I'll put a segment of the Shatner thing in here. But if you guys haven't seen the video, it is so worth it. It's just the funniest, strangest thing ever, and he is dead fucking serious. Oh, he is. is There's no more, no one more serious in that town than William Shatner. He is steeping in his own tea bag right there, man. He is just all about himself. It is something. All right, you took my number three, which was, I guess, that's why they call it the blues. Which brings us to our fantasy concert lineup. Okay. Would you like to take it? Uh, sure, I can do it. I went Megaforce solo artist. Now, this has already been done, really, kind of in the past. Billy Joel and Neil, uh, <laughs> Billy Joel and Elton John have toured together. Toured together. Yeah. Several times. Mm-hmm. You saw them. Every, my wife saw them at the same show, I think. They were at the same. I haven't seen venue. either. I haven't seen Elton or Billy Joel live. Oh, oh no. I was talking to somebody else this morning. But anyhow, my wife has, saw that show. She said it was fucking phenomenal. So, I mean, I think the, that pairing of the two piano rock stars that we have, Billy Joel and Elton John, would be a fucking great, awesome night out. And then we're going to throw up another solo artist from the time who is near and dear to my family's heart is Neil Diamond. Damn, damn. Neil Diamond. Neil is fucking awesome. <laughs> I'd love to see him live. He's got so many earworms. It's fucking... <laughs> oh, yeah. Sous, sous les bones. I love that guy. Man. This is so great. <laughs> well, he's got that awesome comb over. Yeah. And I mean, this everything about him just drips with like, I don't know. My earliest memory of childhood is being in the, the fire escape stairwell of Chicago Stadium. And I'm there with my cousins, and I couldn't have been four or five years old. I'm here with my cousins and my mom and her sisters, and we were all there. They were there to get show, get tickets for the Neil Diamond show that was coming into town. They were all such huge fans of theirs, and that's like the earliest memory I have. It's like it's just like a four like second like think of just playing on the fire escape stairs of the Chicago Theater. I'm like, <laughs> what are you thinking? What, did you really need to see Neil Diamond that bad? But yeah, man, they, they, he's awesome. I love Neil Diamond. But, yeah. All right, I went, uh, I, I'm going to start this off. We're going to go a little esoteric here. 
But this is going to hit a very niche part of our audience. At least there's going to be at least one guy out there, and it's most likely going to be a guy who knows who I'm talking about here. In the 70s, and I think into the 80s even, concerts used to start with a comic. Yes. In Chicago in the 80s on PBS, on Sunday nights, they would air Monty Python. And me being the individual that I am was a big fan of Monty Python. So I would watch Monty Python. It was only a half hour show. On the backside of that, they would air a program called Dave Allen at Large. Dave Allen was this Irish comic. He was like a satirist. And he would sit on stage and basically do, you know, his shtick. And it was a combination of stand-up and then pre-recorded comedy skits. But he would do his show with a whiskey in one hand and a cigarette in the other. And this guy was just like my hero. (laughs) And he would speak in this Irish brogue. And and, it was just great. So... Dave Allen. The young Kirk McGillan <laughs> curled up by the TV yeah, right. waiting for his hero to arrive with his <laughs> scotch and cigarettes. <laughs> we this, were destined to become friends. He was, yeah, right? <laughs> he was, uh, was kind of known for taking shots at the Catholic Church. Now, this is a guy from Ireland. He was born and raised in Dublin. He also took shots at the Protestant Church. You know, the Irish are pretty well known for being fairly a fairly religious people. This guy didn't... Didn't pull his punches. Didn't pull his punches, and he ended every show with, May your God go with you. And I always thought that was cool. Nah. That was sort of a recognition that not everybody has to believe in the same thing. Okay. So We're going to get Dave Allen off after he warms up the audience. <laughs> That's a deep pull. That is a deep pull. I'm sorry. I don't know what it was. Right. I, I saw the... It's your show, man. I saw... <laughs> the fact that he was so open to, like, taking shots at religion at a time when people didn't take a lot of shots at religion, Good. especially on TV, you know, tells me that that he was open to a lot of things. And Elton John was all about being open to, yes. you know, beliefs and, and yes. all sorts of different people in the world. Yeah. It's okay. So uh, that's why I liked, I liked him as a warm-up act here. And then we're going to go with Rod Stewart's first band, Faces. I love Faces. That's Ron Wood, too, right? And Ron Wood, yeah. right. So Ron Wood yeah, from yeah. the Stones, Rod Stewart from the Faces, or from, you know, everybody knows Rod Stewart. The they started with the band Faces. Yeah. He's a model railway guy. I would, yes. I wouldn't have thought that. I knew that about him. He's got like a 3,000 square foot layout in his home in L.A. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. I just never thought about it. Um, this is the same guy that's been married to like three different supermodels. 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 Rachel Hunter. Rachel oh. 
goodness. <laughs> yeah, and two others. <laughs> and two others. <laughs> Who all kind of look like Rachel Hunter. Yeah. I mean, Stewart's got a type, for sure. Yeah. And I think he's got like Hot seven. chicks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty good type. That's a pretty good type. I mean, if you're going to have a type, you know, you might as well. <laughs> He's got like like I I don't know I didn't count it but it looked like seven or eight kids with like I don't yeah. know six or seven different <laughs> women. Well, I mean, and Abe, what, why not? <laughs> you know, we'll we'll have Elton do his thing, and then I think we might close out with Sweden's very own ABBA. Oh, all right. Man, another great fucking catalog, right? Huge catalog. Took a little snort into ABBA here. When ABBA was active, only Volvo made more money in Sweden as a as like a, <laughs> as, as like a means of generating revenue. You know, only Volvo. That's bananas. Well, I mean, what else do you have in Sweden? I don't know. Wooden shoes. <laughs> <laughs> so they could be Some big angry Dutch guy who just like is living in Sweden now doing wooden <laughs> shoes. Big players in the clog industry. <laughs> They only played 18 dates in the U.S. total. That's it. That's it. And it was all in 1979. And it's all American Bandstand. <laughs> right. And I was never a huge ABBA fan. Oh, no way, man. I it's think, a like, huge catalog, you could tie You could tie ABBA and uh, Elton you John would, in pretty well together. Yeah, you would have to really restrict Elton John's catalog. You would have to basically sit down with him and his manager and say, these are the ones that we're playing. Right. We are not playing... You know, Lion King and things like that. <laughs> Island Girl has to go. <laughs> I don't know what you were thinking. All right, what is your number two? Okay, so like, I feel like this album was almost like my babysitter. For some reason, I'm, I'm just going down to the basement and you know, we're going to play some records. And the one record I would always go to is Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. And I think I was drawn to the imagery on the art you know, on the the jacket. Uh-huh. And then when you opened it up, it was a double album. There was the lyrics for all of the songs, and then each song had its own picture, its own artistry. I don't know if you remember it all, but I went straight to uh, straight to that album. I skipped over the first track because it was 12 minutes long, and that it, already at that time I didn't have the time for that shit. <laughs> so I went, <laughs> went straight to uh, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, and I just I loved it. I, loved it all throughout this time every time i hear it it's just it seems it sounds like he's singing from the bottom of a well boom we hit it off you nailed my number two as well oh okay yeah it's it's really just great 
and and this is a Bernie Taupin song. Mm-hmm. This is not a you know obviously all of the songs are Bernie Taupin, but El- Elton John always puts this kind of spin on it. This is a song about rejecting you know fame and rejecting you know the money and all the trappings that go along with it, and that's that's not Elton John's vibe. No, like, I don't. No, it's, I, this is pure Taupin. Yeah, but but. To go back to the authentic, you know, is is Elton John authentic when he sings this song? He can't help but not be. Sure. This is his music. And, you know, he's using Toppin's poems to put his music to, but I'll be damned if, like, he doesn't, you know, can make a convincing argument for, like, he's the singer, in, he's the narrator in the story. I agree. You know? I there are so many parts of this song that I that you know the reason why it landed is my number two. His vocal range, I think, is my favorite aspect of it. Yeah. You know, he gets into these sort of whooping lunges into the pre-chorus before he sings "Goodbye Yellow Brick Road," and yeah. it, they just dry in. And that authenticity you're talking about, you can feel it in how he sings. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And like, so m- most people, if you didn't have the album, you probably are a little fuzzy on the lyrics. I happen to know all the lyrics, and they are some fucked up lyrics, right? They just don't make any sense. A lot of them right. don't, or they're, they're out of place. But, I mean, they just, I, I, it's it's such a great song that it, it doesn't bother me all that much. No, and, and there's a lyric in there that I'm not sure exactly what it means, but it always, whenever it got to that part of the song, I would always sing along with it. I liked it. And it's, I'm not a present for your friends to open. Yeah. This boy's too young to be singing the blues. Yeah, that's a great line. I have no idea what that means. Well, you know, I'm I'm the famous one, and you're going to bring me around like, you know, I'm some kind of party toy. And I'm fucking okay. sick of all this. I'm going sure. back to going back to my plow, you know, back to the, right, right. the howling old owl in that. the woods, hunting the horny back toad. I always <laughs> wanted a boat, and I would have called it vodka and tonic. <laughs> Yeah, that, that song is both <laughs> conventional and unconventional at the same time. Like, the vocals keep it from being a standard song, and yeah. so does the pre-chorus. The pre-chorus is in a minor key, while the rest of the song is in a major key. He does a lot of, I, I, maybe I have the term wrong for it, but he does a lot of inverse chords, too. Okay. Where the bass notes are flipped upside down, sure. the ones on the other... I'm not a musician, but the way that this one guy explained it to it is like that's the pure genius of being a classical musician. Like you, you know how to do those things, right? And you sing the exact note that you're trying to accent, and that's also why things work for Delton John a lot. Yeah, because he is pitch perfect with his voice and his keys. Yeah, it just, yeah. It just it's just awesome. It's flawless. It's flawless. It is. Toppin said of of this song. He said, there are songs that I recall writing as if it was yesterday, and then there are those that I have absolutely no recollection of whatsoever. In fact, if someone was to say Yellow Brick Road was actually written by somebody else, I might be inclined to believe them. Huh. Yeah. He didn't attribute that to any kind of substance use or anything. He did, And I got the impression from the way the, the quote is written and, and how it was said, like, he just sort of goes to a spot in his brain and spits something out and then comes back out and, you know, well, what the hell just happened? Wow. Yeah, <laughs> so it's... I thought that was kind of a unique aspect of that. All right, you snipe my number two with that. So what is your number one? Wow. So my number one might take a few people by surprise, but the moment that I saw this video, I was like, man, it's it, this might be the greatest video ever made because it's so genuine. This is, to my mind, this is Elton John's most genuine song. He's his most authentic in the This Train Don't Stop Here Anymore. Picking up my pain 
from door to door Riding on the storyline Furnace burning over time But this train don't stop This train don't stop This train don't stop there anymore 2000, late in his career I don't know this song It is fucking awesome and the video is elton john as a young his young 70s person uh, backstage he's getting ready for the show and uh there's uh paul rubens plays his manager Wee herman sure plays his manager and elton john is portrayed by a young justin timberlake in, and he looks like elton john in his younger self huh. and it's this song of you know, I used to be, like the chorus says, I used to be the main express, all Stephen Russell's headed west, but this train doesn't stop there anymore. It's, it's him dealing with his age and looking back on his career. And the whole video is him backstage being trucked from one, you know, photo signing uh, engagement here, sign this contract over here, um, do this photo shoot here. And, and Paul Rubens keeps on like muscling him back and forth towards these things. And it's like, I'm just a body that people shove out onto the stage every fucking night. And I'm fucking exhausted, yeah. you know, and all of the, and so and it's, it hits that like the, they portray this time of like when he had what what five six number one albums in a row yeah from 73 or 72 all the way to 77 and he non-stop touring and that's when he got into cocaine use and, and alcohol sure. use and it's like those people think of those things as like those are the trappings of a rock star right i'm gonna get the drugs and the and the booze and the women and everything like that and those aren't the trappings like those are the escapes yeah those are the things that people use like that in those positions to escape that and it it tells and so that video came out in 2000 right as like he was leaving in sync justin timberlake was britney spears took off into this major popularity and it's like he like he's authentic in that performance too and Wee herman got busted in an adult well, theater yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but he's authentic in that too it's like look look what a rock star's life is there are literally thousands of people whose careers are based on you getting out there every single night and performing. And it's, in Elton John's case, it's just you. But yeah. like in Justin Timberlake, if he doesn't show up, NSYNC doesn't go on. Right. And it's like the whole industry just pushes you to like, no, you got to cut a new album. You got to get back out on tour. You got to this, this, and this, because my kid's got to go to private college in the Valley. You know, it's like, and at some point, the artist is like, fuck this. Fucking done, right? Yeah. Give me my cocaine and I'll just anesthetize myself right. or just I'll burn out. It's a really fantastic video and you should really check it out. Or yeah, it's, it's, it's awesome. And, and the song really is a well-constructed, great song. It's just a great ballad, but it's also, you know, him and his most authentic self. I'll check it out. Just, yeah, but it is a top and written song. Okay. <laughs> but I think it's top and kind of saying like, this is my friend for six or for 40 years at this point or 30 years. And he's like, and this is what this industry has done to my friend. Yeah. And I don't, I don't like it. Sure. You know, because sure. Toppin never wanted to be famous, but he got hella rich. Oh, yeah. And I think that he knew, like, Elton took a lot of hits for me. Oh, yeah. Like, like, like he took a lot of the, 
you know, he covered fire for me. He's like, I got to, yes, people knew Elton John and Bernie Taupin, but people, I would walk down the street and nobody know who the fuck I am. Oh, you could walk through a mall and, and you know, go right. into the grocery store and do all the right. things that you and I can do. Right. And Elton and John then just sit can't. on, you know, a $300 million fortune or whatever it's worth. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, it's yeah. got to be a substantial yeah. amount. And so when you put that into context of the song, too, it's just like, oh, well, that's, that's sweet for him to write a song for his friend like that. And like, you know, and, and Elton John was like very clear on like, I don't want to be in this video. That's, this is who, you know, this is the vision of the video because it's not time specific, but they made it time specific with that video. It's just really well done. I think it's awesome. That's cool. Yeah. All right. My number one is I, when I heard it, I was like, you know what? I have always liked this song and it's probably a little trite as far as Elton John songs go for picking a number one. It's from 1971's Madman Across the Water, and it's Tiny Dancer. Yeah. Oh, I feel so real, lying here, with no one near, only you, and you can hear me, when I say softly, slowly, know it made it into the you know whatever movie it made it into uh almost famous almost famous yeah. I, I think i've seen that movie uh, that's not why it's on my list you know this is one of those songs that i just always like the sound of the way it plays out it's such a feel-good song to me it, it's the the simplicity of it is part of what makes it so good and you know he builds into the chorus with the slide guitar behind him, and I know we've we've yeah. taken shots at slide guitar solos no, in the past, but for this, it fits perfectly. Yeah, this and Rocket Man, those, those, he's good. Yeah, it he's fits good. perfectly. I mean, it's really fulfilling to hear that guitar doing what it's doing behind him. This didn't break the top 40 in the U.S. when it was released. No. No, Almost Famous gave it a different, higher profile. It gave it new life. Yeah. It did, for sure. But when it was released, and, and what some of the notes I saw said, it's likely due to the fact that it's six minutes long. Yeah. And so it didn't get a lot of radio play. And actually, what they think happened because of that, and why it has this sort of endearing, enduring, I should say, lifespan, pre-almost famous, it didn't get killed on the radio. Because Elton John got yes. so much friggin' radio play. Yes, he did. That you got sick of countless songs that he's done. Oh, I've got a list here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's there's a few. Yeah, that's an interesting point. This one didn't have that yeah. because it was too long, so it didn't get the radio play, so you didn't get drowned in it. Yeah. So I, I really like this song. There are 10 different backing vocalists credited on the track. That's a lot. It's Yeah, it's gospel-y in a, in a, in a moment. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, I, I love it. So I have this in my pantheon. This is one I would take to the pantheon because it's such a just a wonderful song. I would agree with that. Yeah, the almost famous. I have to say though, the the scene in which they choose to use it is is perfect for this song because the vibe of the band is very much like, are, are we going to break up? This is they grit, gritty at each other. We're for all something. yeah, we're all pissed at one another, and then this song comes on the radio. 
as the diegetic soundtrack that sure. is part of it. <laughs> they all start singing together and, and it brings them together as a band, kind of remembering like what we're all here for. This is a song of friendship and it's a song of love too. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. a great song. I, I love it. When I heard it, I was like, oh, that's got to be it. That's got to be yeah. it. It just kind of hits you. I had it there too at, at number one. And I'm like, well, I mean, I'm playing around with the format, but we, you know, but that's. It's definitely top of the top. It's one of his best songs. It's, it's great. I sure. love it. Okay. What don't you like? Whoa. <laughs> okay. Let me let me make some space here. I want you to... I'm, I'm, I got the ball up at the top of the key, and I'm telling you to clear out. I want ISO on Elton for about three minutes here. <laughs> so, the cocaine and the booze really took a... Put the zap on this kid. And right after, like, like 79, 80, like, I think he just zeroed out in his head and he's just like a, just a guy at the piano and somebody's just plucking away at the strings here. And I don't know how many fucking times I have to hear this Disney-driven, Dennis Chair Rock, like, can you feel the love? No, 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 no. And can Sacrifice, dude! I'm fucking gonna jump off a goddamn cliff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the coup de gras is I'm still standing. <laughs> Jesus Christ! I mean. Again, it goes along with the video, and the video is uh, it's, everybody is painted in a different color. It's very, very gratuitous, and it's showing off of the human shape. And it's just him dancing around in a penguin tuxedo on the beach. I can't, I can't do it with him. I can't. Yeah, and, and if you look at like the 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 songs we've been talking about have a lot of texture. They got a lot of depth. There's yes. a lot of aspects to them. I don't want to go on with you like that. Oh man. Does not have any of those aspects. <laughs> there, yeah. I don't want to go on this. I mean, we get it, Elton. You can do any type of music you want. Stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. <laughs> Stay in your lane. And, all right. and that's not a lane that I want to hear of any from anybody. No, I agree. None of that shit. And I'll shift it back to his early stuff on my other one that probably tops my list of most hated. And again, he's not in his lane. It's Crocodile Rock. Yeah.
Oh, the opening keys are just grating. <laughs> it's it, it's like he hired. <laughs> yeah, it's like he hired Ray Manzarek to play him. <laughs> right. What the fuck? And then he's that whining. Oh my god. Oh my god. Yeah, that's that's not good. None of it works for me. And it turns out it doesn't work for Bernie Taupin either. Bernie said it's not something I would listen to. And he wrote the fucking song. Now, it, it, it's a, I get it. It's a tribute to music from like the 50s but you could and have the 60s. It a different way. I mean, yeah. I don't know what he was doing just, with that pace of music. And I don't particularly care for music from the 50s and the early 60s, <laughs> so that probably jades me in a, in a direction away from this song to begin with. But, ugh. Yeah. Well, he had a song on uh, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road called Jamaican Jerk Off. Now, that and Island Girl. I just, you know, the times have caught up with them. Yeah. Can't be doing that stuff. No, times have changed a bit, and that's probably for <laughs> Tell the better. Tell me what you want in this white man's world. Elton? Sir Elton? <laughs> Sir Elton? Let's let's put a lock and key on that one. That's right. You, rep- you represent the crown, for God's sake. <laughs> well, this <laughs> proper representation, do. I, I guess uh, so. But, uh, I guess so. The other one that I'll just cap, like, Philadelphia Freedom. I mean, no. No, I used to be a rolling stone. And then, no. No, I just don't like it. I just, I, I can't. But the, his his stretch there from like 85 to like now, it's just so syrupy and bad. He got into that movie soundtrack shit, which made him a fucking Make fortune. A fortune. But man, ugh, you get into bed with Disney and you are going to wake up with... Bed bugs. Scabies. Just, <laughs> I was going to say something different, but let's just keep it at bed bugs. Let's not go after Disney, <laughs> perhaps. Say, <laughs> so, hey, we beat Don Henley. That's right. That's <laughs> Disney's <right>. nothing. <laughs> All right. What is your coolest four seconds? I like the, I like the beginning of Benny and the Gents. The, the live crowd and yep. then that, that rumbling keyboard. Yep. <laughs> I just like it. And, and the, the chorus is great. Yeah. I noticed that you've uh, donned your electric suit and your mohair boots today. <laughs> so I want to thank you for dressing up. I, I was going to ask for a different chair. I've been sitting in this fucking Donald Duck costume. <laughs> I can't really fit my ass cheeks through. <laughs> the tail gets in the way. Yeah, I'm going to do a costume change. There you put go. My, my rhinestone uh, studded Dodger suit on. <laughs> He's so great with those. He was great. <laughs> he was awesome. Great. Man. Just sitting there in the Donald Duck, the gigantic Donald Duck. Oh Duck, yeah. Just playing the piano. Playing the piano. Thousand people. Giant glasses on. I mean, he was he was something else. <laughs> I had the start of Empty Sky. 
this is his first song off of his first album, and I toyed with putting this on his in as an honorable mention. I like the song. It was a very straightforward song. I'd never heard it before. Just happened to hear it when I was, you know, cruising the catalog. And it starts with bongos. It's just kind of a kind of a cool tune. I like the guitar on Saturdays, Saturday nights. All right for fighting. I'd say I like the song, but then I'm like, it's not really Elton's ethos. No. You know. I don't I like, picture him being a bar brawler. <laughs> it's like, I get like, you know, I want to get a belly full of beer, and then I'm like, yeah. I don't know. Is Elton John really getting in a bar fight? Well, and, and Nickelback <laughs> covered it, so. Oh, oh <laughs> that, that tells you. I mean, I like the guitar sound. The sound of the guitar was awesome. I have on here the chorus to Burn Down the Mission. love that song i just it was too much there's two minutes at the end where it's just a kind of like this banging on the piano that i'm i didn't make my list but i do love that the first four minutes of that song yeah but again it's not it's you know what is it we're gonna put a flame torch to the rich man's keep like elton <laughs> you're worth 600 million dollars right it ain't your song no. buddy but no. it's a great song i also have the intro to bitches back repeating yeah, yeah, yeah. bass line that's really fast uh, and this is just an observation from a bass player when I heard it I'm like fuck I can't do that <laughs> raisin cane I spit in your eye <laughs> <laughs> and I'm really th- I, he is the bitch right yeah I okay, would assume so saying, right? yeah <laughs> so I looked at their you know his most played on Spotify and some of this really surprised me so his most played song on Spotify is a song called Cold Heart. Cold, cold, hot. No, that's the new one, right? The, Fairly the, recently with yeah. Dua Lipa. Yeah. That's, so that's number one at 1.4 billion. Number two was Rocket Man at 820. Number three is your song. Number four is I'm Still Standing. And number five is Tiny Dancer. Candle in the Wind. And it seems to me you lived your Never knowing who to cling to when the rain set in. 
so Candle in the Wind, there's a there's a number of lists out there. There's a lot of different ones. That talk about like what's the best selling song of all time. Candle in the Wind has come in at number four on a number of them. Now it's not the RIAA who we've referenced in the past. I couldn't find it on their website. They don't have that listed. But the other lists that I've seen have it as number four with Bing Crosby's White Christmas at number one. I love that song. But it doesn't crack the top ten on Spotify. I just I, I'm not sure how that works. I'm not sure why. That was the Diana one. Yes. Yeah. Which I had in my most hated, but I didn't want to say it. Yeah, it was you boy, you're talking about a song you were steeped in? Holy cow. Yeah. It's like a swimming pool full of candle in the wind and you drowned in it. I was at a wedding. It was like a week after it happened. And it was in Indiana. It was in Valpo. At the Strongbow. <laughs> I've been there. And I was, I was out in the lobby having a cigarette with a guy, because you could smoke indoors back then. Guy had on a Dale Earnhardt hat on. Well, you were in Indiana. Yeah, Dale Earnhardt, number three, with a halo over it. This is right after he died, uh-huh. when he got his neck snapped off. <laughs> and his head fell in his lap. <laughs> right into his shirt pocket? <laughs> Play stupid games, get stupid prizes. And I swear to God, with no irony, with no irony and sadness in his face, I reference his head. I'm like, oh, he's a Dale Earnhardt fan. He's like, yeah. He's like, yeah, it's been a tough month. Like, we lost Dale and Lady Die. And I'm like, yeah, it's been a rough one. I turned around. I'm like, what the fuck? It's time to go home. <laughs> and this guy was Indiana all the way. Oh, yeah. Beard, mustache, yeah. hat. Suit hat <laughs> in a wedding. <laughs> I fucking love Indiana. I, w- I used to cover, when I started with the company that I'm still with today, I used to cover the Southeast. And I was in Charlotte like two weeks after Earnhardt died. And you would have thought oh, yeah. every president that ever lived <laughs> and, and reigned, everything. Oh, everything. <laughs> 7-Eleven had Black Bunting on it. It was like every president that ever ruled the nation had been assassinated all at the same time. Right. Like there was, ooh, it was a dark day in, yeah, in Charlotte, yeah. let me yeah. tell you. <laughs> I love it. Cars question. Oh, wait. So back on the Spotify thing, I do have one to stat. There's only 33 artists to reach 50 million monthly plays. Okay. Elton John is one of them. Who is number one? Ed Sheeran. No, he's he's up there though. He's like number four or five. Michael Jackson? No, not even on the list. Okay. Beatles not on that list. The weekend. Okay. Hundred million plays a month. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Wow. I mean I like the weekend, but whoa. What the <laughs> fuck? That's a lot of scratch. That's a lot of hair salons playing the weekend. That's right. Car's question. Did he move music forward? Well, he mixed genres really well, and a lot of different genres. He put them all together, and he kind of created his own very unique sound. But I would say no, he created his own unique sound for him, which is why there's been Elton John for the last 60 years, and really nobody else to fill that space. So I would I would disagree with that. I think he did. I think he broke down a lot of barriers for a lot of artists doing what they did. And I, I would agree that Elton's kind of done his own thing at the same time. You've got bands like modern bands, and you may not know these guys, but they're a fucking great band. Uh, The Scissor Sisters are awesome. 
not so much on the on the piano singer songwriter front, but the sort of we're we're gonna just kind of do our own thing, the freak flag, and it's not necessarily just sexual orientation, but their ability to just kind of branch out and do their own thing. I, I think he broke some some walls for people that might not have stood otherwise. Yeah, or might, I, have, might have stood otherwise. Well, that, that's a valid point. I, I take your argument. I was taking it from a standpoint of like, you know, is there a pianist rock star? I can't think of anyone. No. And like Coldplay. Coldplay is the first thing that comes to mind and, and that, that doesn't, doesn't really count. count. Yeah. Because Coldplay doesn't count. Right. I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's where I was coming at it from that angle. But yeah, as far as the, the social you know aspect of it and just breaking breaking glass ceilings for people sure yeah he, yeah. Had, he had a lot to do with that for right sure. right i mean the guy guy came out as much as you could come out in 1975 as being bisexual right and then coming all the way out in 88 i mean even in 88 coming out that's you didn't do that gay marriage was still illegal in britain it was illegal everywhere in fact and, he know. was i think he and his husband are the first couple and i don't know if this that probably falls under internet detritus but i thought i read somewhere that they were like the first or one of the first couples to yeah. get married when when Britain legalized. Oh well, you remember when they were when they legalized it? You know the world was going to end. Oh, of course. Yeah, and here we are, twenty four, twenty thirty five years later. Right. Yeah, the world is really ending. The newspaper that uh, Tom a lot, York a lot, a lot has changed. The newspaper that Tom York was singing about probably was up in arms over the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure, sure it is. Yeah. So that brings me to the my MVP here, and my MVP is his freak flag, and he let it fly. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like that's. He yes. let it fly. His personality. Yeah. He was great. He was great. And the fact then that he was, you know, out there as, you know, living as a either a, a bi man, how he identified, or a gay man later, just added to it. But he had always, you know, he's just out there and just, this is, I'm going to do this. Right. I'm going to write a fucking American Western album, and I've never been to America, and it's fucking awesome. Yeah. All right. Great. Yeah. Great. Awesome. Do it. So how do you rank him? So I've got his cool ranking at four. I thought that he was in the 70s. That's how I freeze frame Elton John as a cool four. So I, for his image, I got him at a hard five. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this fucking guy Fair. comes out looking like Donald Duck and pulls it off and says, yes. I don't really care if you like this or not. This is me. Yeah. And you're going to, you're, you're here. So you might as well sit down and enjoy it. And Absolutely. I'm just going to do my thing. Yeah. The sequin Dodger uniform. Yeah. You know, was he cool? Well, that depends on what you're. You no, know, I think that's impression. cool. I think it's cool that he did that and owned it yeah. and owned it for years. I think his stylist might have died or left in like 1987 because he got some terrible haircuts. He got some bad haircuts, <laughs> and, and he also and shed all the and all, all of that, that old stuff. stuff. And then he became a sir. And he thought he was better, born with a better pot to piss in. Uh, and all of a sudden, he can't dress up as Donald Duck. Fuck that! I want Donald no, Duck. He's give me on Donald his, Duck. He's on his uh, you know last last tour or whatever right now, and I want to make sure that he's out there in his fucking you know getups. All of them. Yeah, that's the way to go out. Yeah. So yeah, I I think he's cool. Cool guy. For his skill, I gave him a four point eight. I he's talented five. Yeah. I mean, he's super talented. Yeah. Yeah. Catalog, you know, the early stuff was good. The 80s got a little dicey, coked up. <laughs> then you get into the Disney stuff, mm-hmm. which was kind of my sign off on him. Not that I was a big Yeah, you nobody know, nobody was guy. Like, yeah, right. Nobody was like, "Oh, the new album is coming out." Nobody was like that, but like in the 90s I was like, "Do not want to hear him." Right. Don't. So, I I put his catalog at a two and a half. I got him at a two. Okay. Oh, and I forgot Sisters of Mercy. Do you want more? No. 
No. No, I, no, I no, don't. I'm good. He's a lot. I'm good. I, you know, I had, his songs are a lot. I had a challenge, kind of <laughs> researching this, like getting the. I'd sit down and I'd start listening. And I'd be like, okay, <laughs> yeah. all right, yeah. You know, I know the song. I know the style. I like the guy. I like what he does. Um, just a couple of standouts. I, yeah, I just, I do not seek out his music. No, at all. And I don't plan on starting to do so in the future. <laughs> I will avoid his music sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can do the like, same really, thing. If I hear Cold Cold Hard, I'll fucking get out of here. I don't want to go on with you <laughs> like that. Oh, my God. Yeah. No, hey, man, if you like that shit, I pity you. <laughs> All right, thank you for listening to us. Hey, you can counteract that one-star review we got by dropping (laughs) five-star reviews for us. Give us all the reviews you can. We love feedback in any form. Yeah, hey, keep dropping the comments on our Facebook page. That's been great. Every time we've been posting stuff, you guys have been coming back and giving us, you know, stuff saying, hey, that was great, or we liked this, and you can tell us what you don't like. In fact, somebody fact-checked you, sir. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> on the Harry yeah. Christmas episode, and I was I right. S- I was so fucking sure that I was fucking right about that. 103.5, The Blaze. I thought it was, how did I fuck that up? You were WVVX. You had a different Oh, there was different two, stations. There were two, two stations. stations. <gasps> but The Blaze was oh, 103.5. I was half fucking right. <laughs> oh, crap. All right, so we'll be back at you in a month. Thanks for listening. <laughs>